He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. What a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, February 10, 2024, this year of consequence. It's an election year. We have an open seat for the all-important Denver District Attorney's Office. Leora Joseph wants the job. You all hear her state her case in an entertaining, fascinating interview with this daughter of a rabbi granddaughter of an attorney. She had quite a career in Boston before she came to Colorado, and now she works for Jared Polis. She is a substantial person. Leora Joseph gets welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Dave Gunders puts on an epic performance on the back end of this show. Our troubadour, he puts forth his solo career, which begins... Tonight, I record this Friday night, he's performing in Littleton at the alley. If I seem like I'm in a rush, I am. I have to take my wife, his wife. We all have to go see him. This is a big deal. He's played all over Denver Boulder for decades with various bands, lead singer. He's got a great stage presence, but can he do it solo? Oh, yes. You will hear that at the end of the show. It's to die for. The last song, we play one of his songs, uh, Worry No More, because he's ready. He said his voice is outstanding, and pretty soon he'll be drawing massive audiences at big theaters. As a solo act, he's that good. Find out why at the end of this show. In the meantime, in this year of consequence, there have been some bad developments. Like that Colorado case, which we've been talking about. I had Judge Ludig on. I had episode 195. We did that on February 7th, celebrating the immunity ruling. No, Donald Trump, you don't have immunity. Take it to the Supreme Court. Probably will by the 12th, but I don't think he'll win there. But they could stall it out, making him president. On the insurrection case out of Colorado, that's a loser now. I heard the oral argument. I'm a lawyer. You don't have to be to know that, what's the Yiddish word? Colorado got chamalyed. Chamalyed is when you get wiped out, obliterated. It was bad, horrible. Joe Biden got hit below the belt by this guy, Bob Herr, a special counsel who Merrick Garland appointed because this guy bends over backwards, to be fair. And in the process, he appoints MAGA Republican willing to state terrible things about our President Joe Biden that he's old. Yeah, we see that. But he's saying it's affecting his memory, and that's a problem because he's hitting too close to home. When you don't file charges, the old way used to be Shut up. How can a person defend himself? You're saying, I'm not bringing charges, but he's this, he's that. 
And this guy, this MAGA man, Bob Hur, he had to say that Joe Biden really uh, can't be prosecuted because a jury would say he's just got an elderly memory. He's well-meaning, but he's got an elderly man memory. And Joe Biden's doing himself no favors with the way he's responded. He came out on Thursday night and he got deucied. Peter Ducey, who's with Fox News, he should have known better than to call on him, but maybe he wanted a little bit of a fight. He's kind of seemed ready. And maybe Ducey walked into his trap when he said, how's your memory? And he said, it must not be good if I called on you again. Ha <laughs> ha. And it was kind of a joke. I think it was improvised. You never know. It's like that Kamala Harris clip uh, I'm about to play. This was his setup. But Ducey, I think, I think before you went out there, some aide had to say, call on this guy first. And he called on Ducey, and Ducey in the second part of the question follows up with the memory part, and you can see that Joe Biden was sort of ready. But was he really? And could he pull it off? Or is it like an aging athlete who sees the play but can't make it? So maybe he's the coach, but we need a guy who's a player and a coach. We, we all envision that ideal American president who's fast on his or her feet and can parry with the press. But we have to worry about Joe after listening to this. President Biden, something the special counsel said in his report is that one of the reasons you were not charged is because, in his description, you are a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. I'm well-meaning, and I'm an elderly man, and I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president, and I put this country back on its feet. I don't need his recommendation. It's How totally bad out. is your memory, and can you continue as president? My memory is so bad, I let you speak. That's, uh, that's, that's my memory. memory has gotten worse. To the defense of the president comes Kamala Harris, who I admire in a lot of respects. She was a prosecutor, just like Leora Joseph wants to be. And she had those accomplishments. San Francisco DA, California Attorney General, U.S. Senator, Vice President, and now the logical choice for next. But what about Gavin Newsom? Isn't he more electable? And they can't have, they can't both be from the same state. So she could be the Attorney General for Merrick Garland who appointed that Bob Her? I like that move. Kamala Harris, she did her best to defend Joe Biden, and she invoked the fact that, hey, they scheduled this for October 8th and 9th. We thought it was no big deal. Just tell the truth. That's the precedent. We'll give it all back. Nobody gets charged. We're not like Trump. But this guy had a lot of questions, and Joe wasn't that well prepared, I guess, or didn't take it as serious as he should. And Kamala Harris makes the point that he was distracted because of world events. He was sharp as a tack regarding Israel and Gaza, but not focusing on the exact date when his son died. And who really remembers when somebody dies that much? I don't. I remember my parents' birthdays, my late brother's birthday, but I don't know. In any event, Kamala Harris, here's her defense of her friend and president, and I do think she likes him and respects him, and I do think he's a bright guy. 
He just is losing it a little, and she's defending him. I'm glad you asked. Um, listen, I have been privileged and proud to serve as Vice President of the United States with Joe Biden as President of the United States. And what I saw of that report last night, I believe is, as a former prosecutor, um, the comments that were made by that prosecutor, gratuitous, inaccurate, and inappropriate. October 7th, Israel experienced a horrific attack, and I will tell you, we got the calls, the President and myself, in the hours after that occurred. It was an intense moment for the Commander-in-Chief of the United States of America, and I was in almost every meeting with the President in the hours and days that followed. Countless hours with the Secretary of Defense, the Secretary of State, the heads of our intelligence community, and the President was in front of and on top of it all, asking questions and requiring that America's military and intelligence community and diplomatic community would figure out and know how many people were dead, how many are Americans, how many hostages? Is the situation stable? He was in front of it all, coordinating and directing leaders who are in charge of America's national security, not to mention our allies around the globe. For days, and up until now, months, so the way that the President's demeanor in that report was characterized could not be more wrong on the facts and clearly politically motivated, gratuitous. And so I will say that when it comes to the role and responsibility of a prosecutor in a situation like that, we should expect that there would be a higher level of integrity than what we saw. Thank you. Thank you for the question. Kamala Harris has enough going against her in the eyes of white Christian nationalists. She's black. She's female. She's East Indian. She's married to a Jewish guy. Jews are in the crosshairs. I admire Leora Joseph for standing up as a proud Jewish person. She's the daughter of a rabbi. What could she do? She feels it in her kishkas. It's in her family. Same with Noah Tishby, who's a beautiful actress from Israel. She's made a name in Hollywood, very successful, both uh, behind the camera, in front of the camera, and now is an author of A Simple Guide to the Most Misunderstood Country on Earth about her native Israel. She served in the IDF. She's a tough and beautiful cookie, and she was on stage with A.G. Phil Weiser at a big Jewish event, a thousand people there, wings over the Rockies. Tough ticket to get. Thank you, Renee Rockford, for uh, getting me in. And I am media, and I am talking about that great event. I do want to talk about Noah Tishby because I like her. I like her a lot. 
I saw her on with Bill Maher before October 7th, not that long before. She was asked about separating anti-Zionism from anti-Semitism, and I liked her answer. Noah, can, yeah. this is for you. How can people distinguish between legitimate criticism of Israel and anti-Semitism? Oh, good, good question. Great question. Yeah. Great question. Um, okay, so uh, anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. First of all, let's get that. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I'll tell you what the difference is. There's nothing wrong with criticizing Israeli government. I just did that on the show. I think that the overhaul, the judiciary overhaul is extreme. So it's nothing, there's nothing wrong with criticizing Israeli government's policies, politicians, that West Bank, whatever it is that you want. If you have uh, something against, if you're trying to dismantle the Jewish state, if you're trying to go against the, the existence of the state of Israel, that's where the line is drawn. And sadly, there are a lot of people that are criticizing Israel, and that's totally fine. But there are a lot of people that are saying that Israel is not a legitimate country. And that is unacceptable. Okay. On Wednesday night, she had the courage to talk about jihad. And that's sort of a telling sign. How are you going to argue or get along with people who want jihad against the Jews like the Houthis? That's what they want. That's what Hamas wants. That's what Hezbollah wants. So let's talk about that. You can't really make peace with somebody who wants jihad against you. And the first part of dealing with the problem is the willingness to confront it. That's why I liked Noah Tishby, and I liked her pro-freedom, pro-female freedom comments. She didn't really talk that way on Wednesday night, but she did with Bill Maher as the issue of abortion rights came up. She made the point that in Israel, it's not only allowed, it's paid for by the government which includes a lot of right-wing religious people, because Jewish law just looks at it differently. By the way, uh, in Israel, abortion is paid for by the government. Yeah. Just saying. And paid for by the government and a religious state. And religious is well, according state. to religious, religious religion believes in Judaism, life begins in first breath. Right. Whether you're into it or not, into religion or not. Yeah. But yeah, so in Israel, it's... I'm into yeah. breath. <laughs> uh, I, I get that part. So I like her. She's got my kind of politics. And boy, am I passionate about reproductive rights for females. And really, fuck all those guys who want to take that right away from them. That's part of the problem with this country, just how far they will go in pursuit of that to embrace a guy like Donald Trump. They've proven their lack of morality. I do admire and respect Justice Elena Kagan on the U.S. Supreme Court. This is when I knew it was over for Colorado, that the outcome would be determined by consequentialism, that we can never have any provision of the Constitution any more than Mississippi might muck up, or Texas or Florida. Because what if you call this an insurrection, Colorado, and what if Mississippi does something else. Well, listen to Justice Elena Kagan, who is a progressive, not a Republican. She can't stand MAGA, but she doesn't want to rule in Colorado's favor. Have power. But maybe put m most boldly, I think that the question that you have to confront is why a single state should decide who gets to be president of the United States. In other words, you know, this question of whether a former president is disqualified for insurrection uh, to be president again 
is, you know, just say it, it sounds awfully national to me. Um, so whatever means there are to enforce it would suggest that they have to be federal, national means. Why does, uh, you know, if you weren't from Colorado and you were from Wisconsin or you were from Michigan, and it really, you know, what the Michigan Secretary of State did is going to make the difference between, you know, whether candidate A is elected or candidate B is elected, I mean, that seems quite extraordinary, doesn't it? No, Your Honor, because ultimately it's this court that's going to decide that question of federal constitutional eligibility and settle the issue for the nation. And, and certainly it's not unusual that questions of national importance come up. Well, I suppose this state. court would be saying something along the lines of that a state has the power to do it. But I guess I was, I was asking you to go a little bit further and saying why should that be the right rule? Why should a single state have the ability to make this determination, not only for their own citizens, but for the rest of the nation. Because Article 2 gives them the power to, to appoint their own electors as they see fit, but if they're going to use a federal constitutional qualification as a ballot access determinant, then it's creating a federal constitutional question that then this court decides, and other courts, other states, if, if this court affirms the decision below, determining that President Trump is ineligible to be president, other states would still have to determine what effect that would have on their own state's law. So that means the Colorado will not win. And that's a shame, but maybe it's for the best. Move on. We have to win in other ways. There are a lot more court cases. Come on, Jack Smith. Come on, Judge Chutkin. Get that mandate back. Get busy. Let's see a trial in the case of U.S. v. Trump. I like especially one of those charges, fraud against the United States. The guy is a fraud. His business fraud ruling is coming up. I think that there will be a parade of events that won't be good for him. But what about Joe Biden? I'm worried about his health. I'm worried about the health of the state of Israel. Beyond Elena Kagan, let me talk to you about Eleanor Solomon, who I will bring up to you again at the end of the show. She's in Israel. Her family, Noam Solomon, they put me up for a beautiful day near the Gaza border on my only visit to Israel. And now these people had to run for their lives. That'll be part of the outro. After the Dave Gunders session, and it is a live musical session, you might skip to that right now because it's so beautiful, but I'm telling you, I have a wonderful time with Leora Joseph in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. You are going to enjoy this very much. You get to select who will be best to be the next Denver DA. I think it's going to be John Walsh, my guest, episode 193, or Leora Joseph, my wonderful guest, episode 196. And she's a hero, too, for her work for children. Anybody who helps children, those are the best people. I don't take a side because I'm in the media and because I don't live in Denver, but I want the Denver DA's office in good hands. Size up, Leora Joseph. Afterward from Michael Bailey, thank you. Gosh, I 
It's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblawllc.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, being a lawyer is a matter of judgment. You have to know the law, the facts, but good judgment is essential. If you don't understand how Donald Trump is culpable for the crimes committed in his name, then I question your judgment. I have the good judgment to question Donald Trump. If you want a lawyer like that, instead of a knucklehead who believes in the MAGA propaganda, call Craig. 303-734-7156. 303-734-7156. I am Craig. Craig Silverman. A voice for victims. Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Hey, this is a treat. I got to meet her for coffee as she told me about her ambition to be Denver DA. I love that ambition. I had it once myself. I did not achieve it. A guy named Bill Ritter retained his office. But I love that office, the Denver DA's office, and a lot of people do. You heard on episode 193, it was former U.S. Attorney John Walsh, who wants to be a Denver DA, but so does Leora Joseph, and she is formidable, and she makes her entrance into Craig's Lawyer's Lounge, but it's not your first time, Leora, because you graced us with your presence on episode 195, anticipating the big U.S. Supreme Court argument. Uh, that happened on February 8th. Anyway, welcome back and welcome to the lounge. Thank you so much, Craig. Thanks for having me. And yes, I I got a taste of it the other day on what I call No Immunity Day, which was a good day for justice. Um, I appreciate... Yes, we we, we talked about immunity and insurrection. We celebrated the immunity ruling, the insurrection oral argument. We anticipated that maybe it would go better than it did. But it didn't here. go well. But I'm proud. I want to say something. I'm really proud of Colorado for standing its ground, for taking it this way. I think we really showed the rest of the country, you know, uh, a path here and a path about, and you know this from all of your years being an attorney, that it's okay to stand up for what's right and what you believe in, um, even if you don't you know, win the legal argument. And so I think there's still a lot to feel good about. 
I'm just an old jock, okay? I played a lot of basketball, and my dad would have been shouting to me to be aggressive, you know, mm-hmm. for, force the ref to make a call, sort of like Nikola Jokic did against the Lakers, as we once again taught them who is the Lakers' daddy. It's the Joker and the Nuggets. But I digress, because that was a great game on uh on my wife's birthday, I got to take my wow. wife out to dinner and then watch the Nuggets beat the Lakers. That's that sounds a like birthday. a perfect day. Perfect day. Yeah. Well, I've never played uh, basketball, but um, other than, you know, with my kids in the backyard. But what I will say is I do agree with you that sometimes it's important to make a stand. And that is how we make change. Right. If we continuously stand and stand and stand uh, for what is right, I believe change happens that way. It doesn't happen by ignoring a fight. It doesn't happen by being passive. And so I agree with your father. Right. And we're both litigators. You got to force the judge to make a call. And even if it goes against you, let them know you're there. Let them know you're fighting hard for your side, too. Oh, my goodness. We've got so much to talk about, including that I don't know everything about you. Like your (laughs) upbringing. Where did you grow up? Sure. Um, So my upbringing, uh, I was very, very lucky to be raised by two amazing parents. My father, unfortunately, has passed. um, But my mother is as strong and fierce as anybody else. She's a pretty scary lady. They infused me and my three brothers with um, faith. We grew up a very traditional Jewish life, and it's been a big part of my life and my values. And also, I've been blessed to raise my children and my husband and I, you know, with the same values about that obligation. The Hebrew word is tikkun olam. It really means how we have an obligation to repair the world. And that's the work I'm engaged in. It's the work my husband's engaged in and all three of our children and my daughter-in-law, all who's amazing in her own way, all really focused on how we can do better and what we can give. And so it's been an honor of my life to be a public servant my entire career. I'm sorry your father's not here to witness you uh, run for Denver DA, but he's seen you, I'm sure, achieve throughout your life. How long has he gone, and what what was your father? What was your father's name, and what did he do? Yeah, my father's name uh, was Howard Joseph, and he was a rabbi. And um, he taught me. He began his service in a very small synagogue that had, I think, forty families. And he grew it to 1,000. And what he taught me over his career is the value of listening to others. I think a lot of people think that leadership is about coming into a room and being the loudest talker and, you know, screaming from the rooftops. He taught me that leadership is a lot about listening. And he had many, many, um, the effects he had were just radical um and i'll tell you one story well where, where is, situate me where where was your father where was his pulpit yes. and where my father you? so so my father was a uh, fourth generation american and in 1971 he was uh moved by the rabbinical council to live in montreal canada so he slept my mother who was a brooklyn girl Um, she went kicking and screaming, but they made a big life for themselves. And that is where I spent high school and, um, elementary school. Oh, I love Montreal. 
I only it's went great. there once just to explore. It's and very I- cold right now, but yes, it's a great place to, it was a great place to grow up. And my parents really, they, they didn't have a lot of money. I was a scholarship student for my whole life, but they really created um, an environment in our home of questioning and learning and we had a lot of community involvement i really learned firsthand from both of them the importance of being part of a community that was a a a very very big decision but i will tell you this story craig about um after my father passed and i'm not exaggerating a word in the story It's, it's quite crazy so one tradition that we observed during the week of mourning for my father was that um, I didn't wash my hair for a week. That's one of the ways we observe, you know, mourning. And my mother, everybody left after the Shiva period and I stayed with my mother another week and she offered to go, you know, have me go to some beauty parlor or whatever to have my hair all made fancy and all that stuff. And she left me there and I was gonna take a taxi, you know, back to her place and, all of these things and it took longer than I thought it would and all of this it was a long process and I get in the cab and I'm on the phone with my girlfriend who was my college roommate and she lives in Israel actually and she has known my father for 35 years and we're chatting and she this was during COVID and she had zoomed in to the funeral and so she says to me as I'm getting in the car something like your father was so beloved and he touched so many people. That's all she says. She didn't say his name. She didn't say anything. And my Uber driver says to me, and I'm on speakerphone, and my Uber driver says to me, excuse me, ma'am, can I interrupt you? And I said, of course. I didn't know what he could possibly want to talk to me about. And he says, are you talking about Rabbi Joseph, my Uber driver says this to me. Mm -hmm. And I said, yes, he says, how do you know him? That's what he says to me. I go, he's my father. And he says to me, did he pass away? I said, yes, he passed away. He said, well, 40 years ago, he converted me to Judaism. And I always found him to be an amazing person to talk to. And uh, it was an amazing testament to me about the effect my father had on so many people. Here I am after a shiva sitting in an Uber. And it was someone my father had changed a life for. So right. it was a real yeah. testament to how we can make change yeah, and no affect people. And yeah. how, how but share it that that Uber yes. driver would do that. There's and no that- such thing as coincidence, right? Right, but it raises my curiosity. People who convert to Judaism, they're not subject to missionary uh, entreaties by guys Correct. like your father. What caused him to go to your father? Or do you even know the, the I, rest I of was the story? So, I was so uh, emotional at the moment and taken aback. I just couldn't even ask any more stories. It was, I was probably a woman. Yeah. Probably a spouse. I would I would guess. I would guess. A lot of people do that for a spouse. Do you know where my wife went through that process? Falling in where? love with a Jew and then deciding she loved Judaism too. At a synagogue that's no more in Denver. Oh. It's called Beth Joseph. 
at 8th and Ivanhoe and merged with BMH and giving your name Joseph and your father, the great Rabbi Howard Joseph. I just think it's interesting that my wife became a Jew and we got married at Beth Joseph, same place where I had my bar mitzvah. And when it closed, we've been kind of wandering Jews since then. But no, we we have a good home. Uh, uh, Temple Sinai, Rabbi Rhines, Rabbi Zwerin. I love the Denver Jewish community, and I love that you're an outspoken part of it. Advance this story. How did you get to Denver, Colorado? Sure. So we were living in Boston, and I was working in the Boston District Attorney's Office running their special victims unit, handling all kinds of sex assaults. Mostly my area was pedophilia and child abuse, um, those kinds of cases. We Just to give you a sense of the volume, we were seeing about 1,200 to 1,400 intake cases a, a year in that unit. Whoa, stop. Uh, Isn't yeah. that the movies, Spotlight, Boston, the Archdiocese? Yes. Were you there for all of that? I was. The Spotlight case is a particular, uh, that was a great movie. And while I don't know, sadly, Mark Ruffalo, I am very close with the person that he, the character he plays, who's a guy named Mike Resendiz, who's a reporter who really broke the story. And we really connected over a very painful time in Boston's history, a time of great controversy and conflict internal. I mean, there were people in my office, in the DA's office, that were upset that I was prosecuting beloved priests. I had sergeants and Boston police officers come talk to me um, privately. They would see me in a courtroom and grab me and say, can I just talk to you for a second? These are, you know, old gentlemen that were in their 40s and 50s who had never disclosed sexual abuse before. And this was a very, very, very difficult, painful time in Boston's history. And I was running the unit that was prosecuting those cases. And we really had to be creative um, looking at how to get around the statute of limitations, looking at how we talk to a person who is now an adult that was a victim of child sexual assault and all the trauma that goes through there. So there was just a very interesting time to be, and it was a, well, a great what, what was that time period? That was, so I became chief of that unit in 2004, Um, and I had been in the unit before that, the Globe story that broke the whole thing was, I think, 2002. But as you know, it takes a while to get the cases through the system. The Spotlight movie itself, which is so fantastic, um, really focuses on the, the newspaper investigation, which it just shows the amazing, amazing way that free press right and that the value of media and and incredible reporting that broke this story it doesn't show part b which is then what right how does law enforcement get involved how did both the boston police department and the district attorney's office take all of this information and what did they do with it and that is that really is the part that i was involved in but there's no, there's no question that these journalists were heroes and really, really exposed a, a crisis and where and a trauma for so many people. And they, I think, um, I think they're heroes. Right. The media has been a part of that. Greg Moore came from Boston. I don't know if he's you... a, he's a. I Greg yes. Moore is a friend and an, and he's endorsed my campaign. 
Nice. He, well, yes, tell so everybody then, who he is. He was with the Boston Globe. Then he became uh, the head guy under Dean Singleton at the Denver correct. Post. Right. That's correct. And so Greg worked on those cases in Boston. He was the head guy at the Globe. And he is a close friend of Mike Resendiz as well, the reporter I mentioned earlier, who connected us when I moved here. And Greg and I really hit it off. And he's actually come to my house a couple times for Shabbat dinner. And I think I had him once for Rosh Hashanah, um, really become a, a friend and an advisor. And I really value him. Yeah, you Boston guys stick together. You know what I know about <laughs> Boston law? And it was the same time period, mm-hmm. Boston Legal. It was on from 2004 to 2008. I don't know if you ever watched it, but it was kind of like L.A. Law, but with yeah. William Shatner in it, James Spader, Candace Bergen. It was- so I, I don't remember that show, but I got involved a little bit in the show that I have to remember the name. Oh, it was called The Practice with Laura Flynn Boyle oh, yes. and... Yes. And so they would call me occasionally for like background stories, interesting cases. It was a lot. Of, I had a lot of fun with that. That might have been part of that whole Hill Street Blues family. And it was David Kelly who spun that yeah. up. And, you know, he I was a so. former chief deputy DA in L.A. And kind of I had took no idea. from Hill Street Blues. He and Bochco partnered to create L.A. Law and then that genre kind of was reimagined because Perry Mason was a little too old-fashioned back when I was a little kid, but you probably grew up with, do you remember L.A. Law? Is that too old for you? I remember L.A. Law vaguely. I will say that um, most of my life was more like Law and Order. L.A. Law, no, I remember L.A. Law. That was on, was that in the late 80s? I think so, but Law and Order is a good one too. Dick Walsh. That's great. Once I got to co-host on court tv for a week with dick wolf and it was amazing yeah back in the day that's cool yes but back to you and we got to get you from boston to denver so tell us about this husband of yours (laughs) because it seems like he was with you in boston who is he what does he do and it's really important to have a supportive spouse when you run for denver da do you have one Oh my gosh, I could not be in this without him. He um, he has been my best friend since eighth grade. And uh, we started dating then and got married right uh, right after I graduated from college. And he, we have three amazing children who I'll tell you about in a minute. Um, uh, my husband is a doc. He runs the Asthma Institute at National Jewish. He was at Harvard when we were in Massachusetts and we recruited uh, by National Jewish to come here. And really, you know, it is a gem. It is a jewel. It is something, it is a a formidable institution uh, where they practice medicine in a different way. And it's really hyper-focused on pulmonary medicine. And that's his area of specialty, specifically asthma. Um, but he's all in with this. Thank God I wouldn't be doing it without the blessing and the support of my whole family. All right, what well, so can we get his name? He's a famous yes. guy. What is his yes, name? His, his name is Mike Wexler. Mike Wexler. And what's your mother's name? Norma Joseph. And is she here in Montreal still? She's still in Montreal. She comes, she was just here for a little bit in the summer and she's, I try and see her as often as I could. Sometimes we meet 
in New York together, or she comes here. She's turning 80 with God's help in the fall, which I'm really excited for her. But she's still, you know, very active and a, a great grandma to my kids all feel very, very, very close to her. And that I feel the most blessed about. Okay, it has that reputation, and I want to know if it's true. Are Montreal bagels the best? Because I had a couple there, and I thought they were terrific. But do you take (laughs) pride in that? So this is a very controversial topic. I mean, we're heading right into it. I personally, they are Montreal bagels and New York bagels are totally different animals. Montreal bagels are thinner. They're, it's more like a sweeter, thinner kind of bagel experience. The New York bagels are a lot puffier um, and a whole different eating experience. And I'll say here in Denver, I'm a huge fan of both Rosenberg's bagels and Call Your Mother bagels. I think those are doing unbelievably well. And I'm really, really excited by both of those kinds of bagels. Those are Those are more the kind of bagels I like. Call your mother bagels. Where's that? There's two places. One right near the the Capitol. Um, I feel like it's 13th and Grant. And then there's another place on Holly and 2nd. Oh, my goodness. I'll look forward to that taste test for sure. All right. Well, we'll do that. I, you know, my nickname growing up and you can, well, my only my closest friends can say Craigle Bagel because I do love bagels. <laughs> I really do love bagels. My favorite wow. food. And uh, then back to you because we're starting to get you to Denver. It was your husband's move to the, you know, respiratory medical capital of the world, right? Denver has that re- yep. reputation. So he got a big job here and uh, you went with your kids that that's nice right it was fantastic and i got lucky that i was able to get the exact same job that i had in boston here um in the arapaho da's office well actually for the whole 18th judicial district which is arapaho and douglas as you know what a big job yeah great town it's so big they have to split it up now as you know i know new district new judicial district um but that was also a great opportunity for me to learn, I have to say. I mean, I came in as a supervisor and I met with this group of people that are some of my closest friends to this day. And, we, you know, there's different laws. As you know, criminal law is different in every single state. Um, so I had to learn laws. But we also, I was able to share some of the methods that really work to help support victims. And that really helped me grow as a leader. And so not only did I supervise the SVU unit in um the 18th Judicial District, but I started the first domestic violence unit. Now it's a freestanding unit. It's great unit handling because I really believe that victims of domestic violence need dedicated, specialized prosecutors. So that was something I started. And I started a human trafficking unit as well. I had started one in Boston, one of the first in the country back in like 2005 or 2006, something like that. And then I started one here. It was the first one in the 18th Judicial District. And that's another important part of my platform moving forward is that we really need to support victims when they come into contact with the criminal justice system. They are people who've been betrayed physically, but also many times emotionally as well. And we need hyper-trained prosecutors to understand all of the dynamics 
We need to know who are the experts in our communities that can help educate juries about some of these dynamics. We need detectives and investigators that are also really trained up on these very complicated issues because it's all about the facts, as you know, but it's also about how we talk about those facts and how comfortable we can get about them. And understanding, for example, why a domestic violence victim might choose not to testify against her husband, not want to come to court and understand why it might be difficult for a nine-year-old to talk about their bodies in a courtroom in front of a jury. Those are things we have to understand at a very fundamental level and understand how we use language. Victims might talk about language differently than you and I are today. And that's another really important piece when we talk about a victim-centered approach to prosecution. And that that's really been what I've been doing for close to 25 years. So what year did you and your family arrive in Colorado? 2012. And uh, that's a good long time. We're in 2024, a dozen years. And I think it's yep. sort of like basketball, where the cream of the crop are in the NBA. Lord knows Boston has rich history but you kind of take best practices. Oh, you guys do it that way? Well, maybe we'll adopt that. I think it was probably interesting. It would be fascinating to me as a guy who spent my whole career in the Colorado system, your outside eyes. When you got here, did you say, wow, Colorado's doing it pretty good here, but they could do better there? What did you like? And and do you agree with that approach? If You, you got to take the best of all worlds and then you come up with something even better. Absolutely, um, Craig. I think that what I love about Denver and Colorado are the people here who are so open to new ideas, to change. It was pretty amazing. And yes, there was a lot of things that I said, I think we need to do certain things differently than they were doing before. An example is vertical prosecution, and that's a model I'm sure you know, where the person assigned to the case keeps it for the whole time from the moment of intake until trial. Um, that is something that I believe district attorney's offices should be doing. So that was an emo where I kind of brought some change, but other issues that they brought to me and I, I learned from my friends. I consider this the, the teams I worked with here to be some of the best lawyers I've ever worked with and really committed public servants. I mean, just the level of dedication. And you know what it's like, Craig, working in a DA's office. These are people really, no one comes to work to make money. Let's just start with that. They're really committed to doing good work. And it's it's amazing. I did. I When I started June 1, 1980, a thousand bucks a month to be an intern. And then my first year as a deputy, 22 grand a year. I thought that was pretty darn good. What are you talking about? And then <laughs> I'll tell you my story when uh, when I I really wanted to work in the DA's office. That was really my first choice, and I and they kept saying, "Well, we'll let you know next week, and we'll let you know next week." And and then that came a month, and then there was a, a hiring freeze for three weeks, and all these things, and I didn't. And at some point, my husband said to me, "You know, we can't keep." Uh, you know, I was working part-time, but I really need, was waiting to hear that I was going to get a job in the DA's office anyway. Finally, I got an offer from a very big firm, 
And uh, they were offering me at the time something like $105,000 to start. Plus, uh, they were going to pay all kinds of memberships to me and all of this and all of that. And it was a big firm. And I said, the DA's office wasn't getting back to me and they weren't getting back to me. And so I said to my husband and I said to myself, well, I'll, we'll wait one more week and, I, and I'll make a decision if the DA's office doesn't get back to me um, by Friday. I'm going to take this job at this big firm. And um, I'm waiting and waiting. And all of a sudden, Wednesday, middle of the week, and I don't hear from the DA's office. And I said to my husband, oh, forget it. They're never going to call and offer me. I'll just say yes. Event. I'll say yes on Friday. We went out and bought a washer dryer. You know, we were ready to, we were going to have the big life, you know. And then on Friday morning, just as I'm getting ready to call over to the firm to say yes, the district attorney, a great guy named Ralph Martin, calls me and says, love to offer you a job, ready to start, the salary, $26,500. Yeah, that was my starting salary in the DA's office. And I took it, and my husband talks about it as the day I threw $100,000 down the toilet without even discussing it with him. (laughs) But it was my dream. Yeah, good move. I mean, uh, the story's out of Boston. I can only imagine, only been there a time or two in my life, but let's let's talk about what you're doing in Colorado right now because yeah. it's not like you're able to watch the news or, <laughs> and yes, you do a lot, but you have a huge job right now. Tell everybody yeah. your job right now. Sure. So for 25 years that we've, you know, I've been a prosecutor both in Boston and in Colorado, really focused on victims and management. Those are the two different areas, I would say, victims in court and managing the office. And then I got a call from um, the Polis administration uh, about 18 months ago, a little more ago, about a new office that was being split off from a larger behavioral health office. And this office We now call it the Office of Civil and Forensic Mental Health. I have 1,800 employees and about a $300 million budget. And the office really is a direct services to people with severe mental illness, really, really sick, who are caught up in the court system. And a few things you you might want to know about what's going on in Colorado now. First of all, Colorado was sued in 2011 And as a result of that suit, pays fines of $12 million a year under a federal consent decree because people with severe mental illness are stuck in jail and not able to access the treatment they need. When that happens, when someone's arrested with severe mental illness, the entire criminal justice system comes to a stop, as you know, if they're incompetent to proceed to trial. And as you know, it's not just that people have a right to an attorney, they have a right to be able to meaningfully consult with that attorney. And so it's a a constitutional violation if someone is not able to participate in their trial. So this is an office that I think they wanted someone with the criminal justice background that I had and the leadership skills I had to manage how are we going to disentangle? Because I think most people, and you know, Craig, I've been meeting with people all over Denver, and people want to solve. They want to solve for the crises that we're seeing, but they also want to make sure it's compassionate. How do we get people into treatment 
and not get them and get them out of the jails. And I think that is really the focus of the work we're doing right now with um, in the office. Oh, God bless you. Helping the least of us. And we could and probably will touch on the special issues facing Denver right now. But uh, maybe you could just give me an example of a day in the life of somebody supervising 1,800 state workers. Wow. Well, I'm really, really lucky. I have a very, very strong uh, management team that reports to me. Two of those people are CEOs of the two different state-run psychiatric hospitals, one in Pueblo and one in Fort Logan. They report to me. And then I have a number of other people who report to me and are doing incredible work. I'll, I'll tell you something that I'm really excited about that we just started this year. Well, I'll tell you some of the different things that we've done in the last 18 months that I'm most proud of. So the first thing is this year we started um, opening what we call mental health transition living homes. These are, we now have 24 beds operating in different homes and we are planning by the end of this year to to open a total of 164 of those homes. And we, these are for people who have been in a psychiatric hospital for most of their life. They are stable and yet need still some support. We can't just release them. Many places in the community are not comfortable having them um, because there's some discharges to barriers. They they may have entered the criminal, they may have some criminal justice behavior in their backyard, in their background, I mean. And so we have created these homes and they have been doing unbelievable work. This morning, I got a text from my director who manages these homes, how excited the residents are. They're having a Super Bowl party on Sunday. Um, which is unique, right? It's it's a it, they feel independent. They're they're well guarded. They're well watched. They're well treated. But they're also living some with some independence, making dinners together, making having snacks together. I mean, you should have seen the excitement that these people had. Many of whom have been institutionalized for met much of their lives on Halloween. When kids in the neighborhood came I'd like by, I to, to see that. Re- I'm picturing that, but I can only see that happening if there's great motivated workforce and great facilities. And Absolutely. So we're keeping yeah. we're keeping these houses very small. They're not institutional looking. They're they look like a regular house, and they have we have good workers and people who are really dedicated to the work. Uh, it's been really really reassuring and exciting. So that's one of the projects that I've been working on. The other is we I began the first ever statewide judicial task force uh, focused on mental health. And we have a number of judges participating. We've gone all over the state to do presentations about ways to kind of disentangle the, the problems between those who are severely mentally ill and the justice system. And we started, when I started 18 months ago, we had one specialized competency court in Fort Collins, which is amazing, run by the incredible Judge Blanco. And we've been supporting that measure. We now, in the last year, have grown from one to nine different judicial districts have these um, incredible, incredible competency um, courtrooms. And that's really, really focused on, on this disentanglement. Instead of an adversarial system, a competency courtroom really works together, the DA, the defense attorney, people from my office, the judge, 
on how do we get people into service and treatment. And that's been a wonderful way to see, you know, ways the justice system can help. You know who can judge these things? Veteran prosecutors, of course, we're all arrogant, but, you know, in a daily docket, you'd see the sheriffs shuffling the prisoners. Back in the day, it would be on the fourth floor of the city and county building. You'd watch them walk down the hall. But regardless, you always eventually see them in your presence, right, in the courtroom. And occasionally you just see somebody and you go, that guy's not faking. You know, in terms of mental health health difficulty or a woman, you see it a lot in courtrooms. It's sad. And it's it's almost, you know, to me, sometimes it's obvious, but a lot of times it's hidden. You were once a veteran prosecutor. Now you have all this other experience. But do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Um, it's sad. Uh, one of the the saddest parts of this job is that, well, the hardest thing I do is I meet with a group of parents every two to three months who tell me all the same story. They had a child, uh, they have a child who, uh, you, you know, gets through their his or her teenage years with, you know, relatively unscathed, hits that age group of 20 or 21 and is, um, becomes severely mentally ill. He gets diagnosed with severe schizophrenia, bipolar, and becomes a stranger to the parent. It is very hard because that person at age 20 is now technically an adult. I mean, is an adult. You can't get getting them into treatment. And so some of these parents are like, the only way that we can get our child help is if they get arrested. These are kids that some young adults that fall into homelessness, they fall into um, drug addiction. It's And so I meet with these parents and different levels of anger towards me at different points, but it's okay. They're allowed to be angry. How do we create upstream solutions for Colorado uh, so that we don't have to rely on the criminal justice system to be that vehicle to get people into treatment? And that, I think, is a real challenge. It's a challenge for the whole country right now. I'm involved in a number of different kind of national conversations. Colorado is not unique in this struggle. It's a it's a complicated, complicated uh, situation. I would highly recommend a book to you uh, because you're a journalist, you're a media person. Um, it's written by Jonathan Rosen and it's called The Best Minds. And um, it is about this, he's a writer for I think the Atlantic or the Times. And he tells the story of his best friend who he went to Harvard with and gets out and goes to Yale Law School and gets out and kills his girlfriend. And the book I had, uh, the book was Obama, President Obama just listed it as his top 10 um, books of 2023. And I had the privilege of meeting with the author. I took a group of people from Denver to New York to see what Mayor Adams was doing in this area of behavioral health and criminal justice, specifically focusing on people experiencing homelessness who are caught up in that trifecta, homelessness, criminal justice, behavioral health issues. And so we went on a visit to New York and, and Jonathan Rosen came and met with us and talked a little bit about his experience and what he's observing about the 
the problems with the criminal justice system and the, and the mental health system and where they connect and disconnect. So anyway, I highly recommend it. I wrote that down. I have Good. heard about that book. And Good. you mentioned me being in the media, and that's nice. I don't have the reach for a guy like Joe Rogan or Alex Jones. <laughs> I want to spit on that guy oh, and, and uh, Tucker God, Carlson right? too. But 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 they're they're aimed like a missile at at twenty and twenty one year old male yep. whites in America, right? And trying yep. to get yep. into the heads of my boys, and they get into a lot of people's heads, right? The government's out to get you. COVID's a big plot against you. I, I am so sad about this is one of the big problems we have right now is how do we, you know, the how do we help people understand truth and facts? Um, and it's it's very concerning. And those are some real right wing. I, I mean, some of these people are nuts. That's all I'll say. Right. But some of it goes on to the jury. In fact, that first jury for E.G. and Carroll had returned a good verdict, $5 million. But there was one guy who liked that Tim Pool, who's another little agent of destruction, wears a beanie, talks to alienated white kids. And that's where he got his news. Or maybe that verdict would have been higher. But I love D. Jean Carroll going after Donald Trump. That's the civil justice system. That's my arena since I stopped being a prosecutor so long ago. But I like standing up for victims. I admire Robbie Kaplan and her partners. Uh, they were amazing. I don't know if you followed that, but score one for the justice system. I think E. Jean Carroll is an absolute hero. She is so determined and brave. As you know, Craig, most victims of sexual assault and sexual harassment never come forward. What the FBI estimates one in four victims, only one in four victims come forward. And so this is just an amazing thing to see her fight and win, quite frankly. And I'll tell you this, what was it? 83 million, 86 million. That's a hit. That's a hit that could actually affect the election, I think. It's a lot of money. Um, and I, I'm just so proud of her. And I feel very, I hope victims all over see, um, feel vindicated by that. I hope they see that no one is above the law, that there will be recourse for them. I, I just hope her message continues to uplift people. Right, and the guy raped that woman. He did exactly what he told Billy Bush he would do. It's so crude, uh, and, and then he got elected, but it was a locker room talk. He actually goes that far, and he thinks women like it. I prosecuted the Capitol Hill rapist, and he represented himself, and I said in his second trial, we had to go up to Aspen because of publicity when we convicted his ass of six of them. And, and in the seventh trial, the first DNA trial, in Colorado, that's how old I am. I said, hey, why are you kicking off all the women? And he he, he said, well, well, men put a value on, and he used a crude term. He says, women don't. And, and he said, if I was a rapist, the women would be liking it. It's like Donald Trump. He thinks the woman should like his attention, you know, his crude Grabbing it them. It's disgusting and it, it it filters down in society, doesn't it? Absolutely. That Billy Bush tape was so offensive and so demeaning. And then the guy gets elected. And by the way, let's just talk for a minute about the Supreme Court. This is such a painful part of this. You know, 
I'm sure like you, you know, when you're in law school, you are told, oh, the Supreme Court is the most revered body. To be a Supreme Court judge is the most incredible thing. And we currently have a situation where nine just of nine justices, two have been accused of serious sexual offenses. And I am just I'm flabbergasted. We're, by we're it. talking about Clarence Thomas and Kavanaugh, Brad Kavanaugh. Yes. And I'll tell you, when Brett Kavanaugh was confirmed, I was supervising the SVU unit here in Colorado. And my team was just we were traumatized by it because we are all lawyers in this work. And I invited everybody over to the house that week. We and we just came over for dinner and people just kind of were just we really went into how this makes us feel when a, a justice of the Supreme Court has this in their background. And, you know, think about nine people. I mean, think about any group you have, a group you play poker with, a group you go skiing with, a group you have for dinner regularly, nine people. Do you have in a group of nine people, two of two people of whom are accused of this kind of serious, disgusting behavior? All right. Here's, here's how I would rationalize it. Serving on a body with them. God forbid I'm ever appointed to the Supreme Court, okay? And I would say about Clancy Thomas, boy, I don't like your wife, but yeah, I've been married a long time. I do believe in Nita Hill with that pubic hair on a Coke can and that you rented long, dong, silver. But I'm not going to call you a sex offender, okay? And for you, Brad Kavanaugh, when you went to Georgetown Prep, I've heard about it. I think you got drunk. I think you don't know how to act around women. And uh, I tend to believe your accuser, given your defense and all of that. But you've raised a nice family. You have nice daughters. And I'm not sure I'm going to label him a sex offender. But let's expand to Donald Trump, who's been credibly accused by about 26 women, including Eugene Carroll, including his former wife, who said he raped her. Yep. And, and so... And and he's always on the on the make. He hung out with Jeffrey Epstein, and he 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 bragged about breaking in on young girls in their dressing rooms to Howard Stern. I tweet and I post and I say it here: this guy, the GOP is about to nominate, is a sex offender, a serial sex offender. And it's just, I, I can't believe it. You're the sex. I can't You're- believe it. I, I, I just, it is so offensive. What is the message to women in this country? What is the message when this is what we have as a, a, someone who is a president of our country? It is, it, it rocks my world. It is, it is, it's something out of the handmaid's tale, honestly. Right? Why, why, don't, why doesn't he make Bill Cosby his running mate? I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> or Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, his, Harvey you know, Weinstein. Secretary of Defense. Yeah. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. It's repulsive. So, yeah. This is why I, I like the concept of you being a Denver DA, and it's a powerful job. You know, Bill Ritter beat me, and then he became governor. You're young. You could do all that. Do you have those kind of aspirations, or why do you want oh, to be? Why do you want to be Denver DA? Maybe after your big mental health job supervising eighteen hundred people, maybe it's an easier job to be Denver DA. <laughs> 
I will answer this this way. First of all, I promise you and I promise the people of Denver, I am never going to seek another office other than the Denver DA's office. I've been a prosecutor for 25 years, a consistent public servant who is now doing this mental health. And Denver right now needs someone who can help bring back a feeling of safety and compassion to our city. And they deserve someone who is laser focused on being the Denver DA and doesn't have some other office out of the corner of their eye. And I I have no desire to run for U.S. Senate or governor. Uh, th- that's just not my wheelhouse. I'm running for the job I'm qualified for um, and the job I can make change. And I'm running because I love Denver. I mean, this is an amazing city, amazing people. And I think we're going through a challenging time. And I think Denver needs a change. And that's what I'm running on. I have real ability, not just a job I had 20 years ago, a job I've continued to serve and work for 20 years, learning how the criminal justice system affects people, learning how DA's offices work. I've been doing that for over 20 years. And now the job I have now really hyper-focused on what we're seeing on our streets right now, which is that intersection between public health and public safety, I can solve for these things. So that's why I decided to run. I've never run before for any other job. This is the job uh, that I'm qualified for and the job that I want and the job that I can help Denver with. Well, I heard a little bit of a gentle jab at my guest, episode 193, John Walsh. And I think I told him he's Hollywood handsome, so he would be perfect, like, for Senator Walsh or Governor Walsh. I mean, he he has that look, but so do you. You could be, you know, co-starring with him in, in a movie, a woman of great accomplishment, and you have all this going for you. So I'm trying to figure out and help people who vote in Denver uh, make a distinction between you and John uh, how how would you put it? Do you think you're running to the right of him or to the left of him? Because when I run against Bill Ritter, on most issues, I was clearly to the right of him, and I yes. lost. So, yeah. Well, well what would I, you I say? I don't know. I I don't. For, first of all, he is a, a, a incredibly bright and gifted, kind human being, and I, I I please don't take me as having any jabs or anything like that. I think ultimately. And, and I also don't want to get fall into this right, left. I don't know that that's helpful. I'm running. I want to talk about my campaign. I'm running on bringing back accountability into public safety. I'm very strong on that. And also, I'm the running on this compassionate pathway to treatment, how we can move people with severe mental illness off of our streets and into treatment. And that's a unique skill set I have. I'm the only one in the race that's worked in a district attorney's office. I'm the only one in the race who's worked for many, many years in a district attorney's office. I'm the only one in the race who's managed teams in a district attorney's office. I'm the only one in the race that spent a career meeting with victims. I mean, I've met Craig with probably over a thousand sexual assault victims, countless domestic violence, human trafficking victims. I know how to make change in DA's offices because that's what I've been doing. And I'm the only one in the race with this kind of behavioral health experience. And that is, I think, what Denver really needs now. This idea that we cannot ignore the crisis on the streets by just letting people 
walk around in distress, that we have to help move them into treatment. Okay, you've been mildly critical of what's going on in Denver. I think that's wise because a lot of people are dissatisfied. They feel danger in Denver. But uh, I'm just, I, I just don't want to have crazy feelings about going into Denver. I live just Look, on the border and a lot of people are feeling that way. Could you do something about that when you're Denver DA? Absolutely. And, and, and we have to call it out. Denver has changed dramatically. I saw recent data that puts it at the 15th most dangerous city in the country with an increase in violent crime that's outpacing Chicago. And so I, I, I think we, we, we need to seize this moment and we need a change. A strong leadership change in the DA's office is, is what is called for. And I do have plans. I think we have to acknowledge, first of all, that people don't feel safe. They don't feel safe. There's an auto theft problem. There's a gun violence problem. There's dysregulated behavior. There's open, um, you know, drug use on the streets. These are things that are concerning people and don't lend themselves to feelings of safety. So what do you do? What do you do? Lock people up? No. So uh, some people, yes, some people need to be locked up. You and I both know that. But I think when I talk about the mental health issue, I think we have to think about how we use our ability to move people into treatment. People who are severely mentally ill or suffering from addiction need to be helped and given, but but not given choices. And their their choice can be jail or treatment. And we have, as the DA, that obligation to create a safety spectrum where people can find treatment in um, ways to get an access treatment. And this is a model that New York is using. It's a model Miami is using. It's about moving people out of the criminal justice system into probate court called assisted outpatient therapy. So you still have a judge monitoring the situation. You still have, um, you know, a a real, but you're, you're not making convicts and you're not saying that jail should be where people get treatment. That's not the solution. The solution though is having different arms of the justice system use their tools and their resources to move people into treatment. So how do you get the job? You have to win a democratic primary and when is that coming up and how do people participate? Yep. So the election is June 25th. Um, and how do I win? I feel very supported right now. I've been raising money. As you know, that's a big piece of it. My message seems to be getting out there. I have, I'm really honored by a lot of support I have from leading Democrats like Senator Hansen, uh, the Speaker of the House McCluskey, Senator Coleman, Shannon Burr, Jeff Bridges, Judy Amabile, Daphne Michelson Janae. These are legis- democratically elected legislators. Uh, who see the work I'm doing. And that's been a huge support. I have a lot of support from community members and that I'm so proud of the support I've gotten from multiple, multiple um, leaders in the NAACP. I have support from um, friends of mine who I've been working with both at the mental health work I'm doing and the prosecution world. So I just feel a lot of support from just incredible leaders here in Denver who I've learned so much from. And I'm, I'm really, really thankful. Give out, give out your website while we're talking about how you're going to win. 
tell tell you my website? Yes, please. Yeah, Leora for district attorney. Leora, what beautiful name. Tell everybody what that means. Sure, it's a it's a Hebrew word and it means my light. And my parents, you know, named me that and I tried to own up to that. Uh bring light into the world. And so you've kept your uh maiden name throughout. That's pretty progressive. I have kept my maiden name throughout and uh yeah, I'm my own person. That's for sure. Uh, a person of incredible accomplishment. Uh, how big would it be to be the Denver District Attorney? You know, I love the history of the office. Have you thought about that? Do you know about the history? Is that important to you? The history is, of course, important. And when you say how big of, to be the DA, I think more how humbling it would be to serve Denver at such a critical time where we need, where there's so much help needed, where people are calling out for, uh, for help. They're calling out to recreate our city, make it feel safe, make it inspire justice, make people understand what I understand. And I believe you do too, that public safety and human dignity are actually two sides of the same coin. We've been taught, we've been inappropriately led to believe that human dignity and public safety are oppositional. And I don't believe that. I believe when we create safe systems, everyone will feel safer. They'll know that they are safe outside, that people who need help and support are getting that, and that people who are dangerous, fentanyl dealers, people using illegal guns, gang violence, organized crime, those people are being held accountable. And we have got to bring back that accountability into public safety, the idea that there are consequences. We, we've got to bring that back and make sure that everyone understands that the, the city that they're living in is safe for everyone. And that, that really is the, the primary goal I have. I expect you're good at both. But which, what is your wheelhouse, uh, being in the courtroom or being a great manager? Uh, I'm really proud of my management. I've been managing and I've developed a lot of close relationships and I've been able to bring change. I will tell you, Craig, I, I love getting up there in front of a jury. Um, that's still always going to be a bit of a rush. But as I've been managing over the years, I've taken on fewer cases as my management Um skills kind of needed more attention on the person. And one of the things I've learned when you manage public servants, they come to work every day wanting to do better. People come to work wanting to do good. There are so many great people at the Denver DA's office who are working so hard, so tirelessly, and really um, are open to change. They see the problems, they see what's going on, and they want they want to a new way to do things. And I and I think they, they see that I can offer that. What about Beth McCann, my old colleague? When I started as an intern, she was already a bit of a trailblazer, one of the first female deputy DAs, although second in command in our office was Brooke Wanneke, who was one of the first trial attorneys female in Wyoming. If you you can say whatever you want about Beth, but if you are fortunate enough to get the job, you'll be the second female DA, but you'd be the first Jewish DA. That would be something, first Jewish Denver DA, to my knowledge. So, I, I mean, have you thought about these things? 
Of course. I think we all have to acknowledge that uh, Beth McCann is a trailblazer. She broke that glass ceiling. And listen, you know, as a woman running for office, I see the obstacles that uh, women face every day. We just finished talking a little bit about how a former president feels he can talk about women, right? So so women running for office are facing different kinds of obstacles. So I, I have great respect for what she's been able to accomplish. I think we only have, I think there's about 21 prosecutor elected DAs in Colorado and three are women, which is mind boggling in a profession of lawyers where for over 20 years, men and women have been graduating law school in equal amounts. We have, so, so, so her accomplishment is, we have to give her that, that uh, kudos for that. That's an incredible thing. Um, And you know, I, uh, I it would be interesting to be a, a Jewish DA here. I think that uh, they're not they're probably not a lot of Jewish prosecutors elected district attorneys around the country. That's interesting. Yes. And as for Donald Trump, I don't think it's just talk. I think he'll back it up with action. Anytime he gets a little privacy with a woman, he'll grab him or try to, you know, force a kiss on them. He, he It's not just talk. Um, oh, no. yeah, I would not let my daughter be alone in a room with him. Right. And and while we're at that, in terms of the worst courtroom presenters ever, in that E. Jean Carroll case, he turned a $5 million problem into a $90 million problem. Unbelievable. And he could not control himself even in the courtroom. And And you want that guy to do your negotiating for you? I mean, who are these people who would trust him? Crazy. I'll tell you who I would trust, and you're the first one who kind of talked to me about her, because on Wednesday night in Denver, there was a massive Jewish gathering. It used to be called the men's event, and now I know why it's so crowded. They're letting women in, and it was hard for me to get a ticket, but I'm, you know, I know a lot of people like Leora Joseph, and (laughs) I was going to get in, and I'm glad I did, because Noah Tishby was there. And I think I asked you, why is this so popular this year? And you were the one who told me about Noah Tishby. And I was vaguely aware of her. What do you know about this star, beautiful woman? It was a great night. I'm I'm glad. uh, I'm sorry I didn't get to see you there, but there were a thousand people. But I thought it was a really incredible night celebrating unity. And I thought, you know, Attorney General uh, Phil Weiser and Noah Tishby really were the stars of that show doing a fireside chat concept about where we are right now in this country with anti-Semitism. And so Noah Tishby is an Israeli woman who now lives in, I think she lives in New York. She's been a TV producer, a film producer, but now she's really become known since I would say um, the tragedy of October 7th as a social media influencer. I think that's one of her roles really trying to remind the world about anti-Semitism and how evil it is and uh, trying to spread some truth in that area. And I I thought uh, Phil did a great job talking to her and supporting her. It was was a, a, a really uplifting night. It was. And I have a fantasy that someday Noah Tishby could be in a private place with Donald Trump 
and he would make that kind of move on her. And she's IDF trained, you know, two and a half years uh, serving her country, her native country, Israel, and she'd kick his ass. And then she'd tell jokes about it afterwards. She was really impressive. And A.G. Phil Weiser, he was fantastic. Uh, And you could tell she had a good time. She uh, has brought a lot of Israeli productions to America. She's been an actress. She starred in... Uh, the affair. I don't know if you watched that, but I didn't. Uh, and and she did the precursor to Homeland, and I think she impressed a lot of people by going on real time with Bill Maher. And I'm playing a soundbite of her on this show, but I think it's kind of emblematic of women stepping up and leading. And you talked about how few lead prosecutors there are elected in Colorado. Maybe it's about to be a sea change like the Grammys, right, where a guy can't hardly win an award because all the women are winning everything. And that's that's okay because men have screwed up things. I mean, you're a woman. It's kind of remarkable that we have two old guys to choose from. And uh, I personally don't like the way Kamala Harris is disrespected. I think she's she's done fine. They're, they're just a caricature of her that I think goes with her being a female and being black and married to a Jewish guy. I don't know. It just feels bigoted to me. She was yeah, attor- I- she was attorney general of California, for God's sake. She was also a DA. I have a lot right. of respect for her. I, I really do. And I I agree. I mean, I think we have to own that there is some level of um, Sexism. Yes, and discrimination. And 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 we have how do we change that, right? If you can't see it, you can't be it. I think we have to own that. Um, but I want to be clear, Craig, that I, no one should be voting for me because I'm a woman. Uh people should vote for me and understand that I'm the best choice for DA because I'm the only one with the experience that matters to turn the city around. And that that really is my message out there. Well, here's another part of your message, and uh, I love you for this, and that's your proud Jew. A lot of people are Jewish, but they would never talk about it on a podcast. I bring it up all the time because it's sort of part of who I am, and we are under threat right now. Noah Tisby has a special with that she's putting on explaining what it's like to be a Jew, and it's different to be an American Jew versus an, an Israeli Jew. Why is it important for you to say, hey, I'm a Jewish woman and I'm proud of it and let's talk about it? Listen, we're at a really difficult time in this country, which I never, ever thought we would see. I, um, you know, October 7th happens, the most Jews murdered in one day since the Holocaust. And on October 8th, the next day, while we're just shattered, while we're still making notifications about who was murdered, we have on the steps of our capital a celebration of this massacre as a resistance. And this was an incredibly painful moment. And then the anti-Semitism, it didn't take long, right? It was clearly, um, you know, this anti-Semitism has just been out, all out, of, the, out of the Democratic Party. Representative Tim Hernandez from Denver, Elizabeth Epps from Denver. 
That's we, it, Shonda. We're, we're seeing anti-Semitism across in the country, across parties, across across socioeconomic, yes. across genders. It is not isolated to any one person or one group. And I'll tell you something as a mother that I have never thought I would experience. Shortly after October 7th, so I, I mentioned I have three kids and we're my husband and I have spent a lot of effort and uh, making, you know, putting our faith in our children. And I mean that in every way, right? And I have a son on a college campus. And I found myself begging him not to go to Sabbath services. In what world do we live in, in 2024, United States of America, that I am scared for my 21-year-old, six-foot-two son to go to a synagogue. In what world is that? And this is where we know something has been unleashed that we need to get a handle on. And this is a principle of justice, right? This is a basic issue in justice. We don't live in a just society if people are afraid to practice their religion. We don't live in a free society if people aren't able to say, this is who I am and I am proud to be me. This is who I am and I want to learn about all kinds of communities and cultures, but I also need to stand up for my values. We don't live in a free country when women don't feel like they can walk in the street at night, when women feel that people objectify them, when women don't feel safe. Then we stop living up to our justice ideals. And this is a challenge and we have got to, we've got to combat it. We really do. Well, you are out there and battling it right now to make society safer with working with people who have mental health difficulties. You want to take it further with the Denver DA's office? I really think you have a great shot at it. And I don't know about the Denver Democratic Party. Uh, again, what do you think it's about? Is it get out the vote? Is it uh, getting precinct captains? I, I don't know how to do it. When I ran, when I ran, it was as an independent candidate because I did not want to compete within the Democratic Party. So I got to November, but to get people to even realize that, in effect, the Denver DA is going to be chosen in late June of 2024. How many people have that on their radar? Yeah, I think the election has not. Um been a focus yet. I don't think a lot of I'm certainly talking about it a lot and working hard, but I don't know that the focus right now in Denver is is on that. I think we have a great Democratic Party here in, in Denver. People, great people. I've gotten a lot of support from the party. I've been a co-captain. Um, I had to resign when I announced you're not allowed to be a party captain and um, run for office. But people are really committed. I'm part of a group of people. We show up for each other at these meetings. We're engaged in political discussions. We're active. People who care, people who are really focusing on getting out the vote, making sure 2024 goes well, and making sure, quite frankly, that Donald Trump stays out of office. And and the Denver Dems are absolutely committed to that. They are committed to make keeping our country you know, safe from Trump. And it's been pretty amazing to watch. I've been really lucky to be involved in the party and to see the machinery on how seriously, these are all volunteers, by the way. 
I mean, we have to underscore that, who are working tirelessly to make sure that Trump um, doesn't make it onto the ballot. So it's, it's, I actually am really proud to be part of the Denver Dem group. They're just great people. I really, really, really like them. Well, that's good. I like Democrats now, even though I'm unaffiliated because they are on the anti-MAGA side. To me, that's the anti-crime side. And Joe Biden has his difficulties. And I, I just, you're so wise and you're into mental health. And I know you're busy supervising 1,800 people. But I want to end by talking about Joe Biden, who is... 80, past 80. Your mom's turning 80, and hopefully she's doing well. My buddy who's on my show every week, Troubadour Dave Gunders, his father is hitting 100. But there's some diminishment, okay? And it happens over time. When I played basketball, I had to stop in my 40s. Of course, my feet hurt. Various things hurt. But it was mainly because I could see the play and then just not quite execute it right? Oh, my God, you know, I would have made that play easily five years ago. And so we look at Joe Biden and say, wow, we we just see some things. And Donald Trump, too, he's slipping like crazy, calling, you know, Nikki Haley, Nancy Pelosi, getting it all jumbled (laughs) up. But I mean, with age, what are you saying? And and what's your guide? I, I would argue, you know, it's apples versus watermelons. Uh, Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. Trump is more diminished by age and just a serial criminal. Joe is older, but he's not a serial criminal. The choice is easy for me, but I'm worried about Joe Biden. And when he defended himself last night, we're recording on a Friday, he made some other kind of old age mistakes. And Mm -hmm. uh, you're the mental health professional. What would you say to all of that? So I, I'm a very big fan of Joe Biden's. I think this country is in such better shape than we were four years ago. He has been strong. The economy is great. Jo- unemployment is down. I mean, I, I, I want us to really step back and say, are you better off today than you were four years ago? I, I filled my car up with gas today. It, it, things are going great, right? I, I think that um, is there room for for um, improvement? Absolutely. But Joe Biden is a strong leader. He has surrounded himself with the right people. We both were just talking about Vice President Harris. She's amazing. So he he has people that he is. I'm very impressed with Blinken, for example. He He is stronger than he's ever been. And remember, the issue for voters and Biden's beat Trump before and they'll beat him again. That is what we have to focus on. We're not talking about Joe Biden and comparing him to some other ideal we have in our head of, of, of what, you know, a different president. It, the, 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 the decision is very, very simple. It's Trump or Biden. And there's no, the, the shade between them is enormous. There is no competition about who's brighter, who's more competent, who's stronger, who surrounds themselves better, who's more professional, who's more dignified, who's more respectful. I, I mean, we can't, it's not even a conversation. No, I agree. So I, yeah. I, 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 Joe Biden, I think uh, I'm excited. I'm happy for him. I really am. Right. One day we'll get a woman in there. Yes. I think Jill Biden has a lot of power now. But you know what? Behind every 
great man is a good woman. And, and I agree about Joe Biden. And in terms of my metaphor about being a player, well, now he's more of a coach. And you can coach for a long time. But I don't want this election to be close. I know you don't either. And maybe if a guy like Gavin Newsom was debating Donald Trump, it might be easier. I'm not worried that it's going to be close. Joe Biden beat Trump and he'll beat him again. Right. It's just it's just I worry that he could say something or do something. And this caricature of him as, you know, beyond senility is unfair. But, but, But we can see the effect of age. And I appreciate you talking about it. And and his accomplishments have been immense. I'm just worried about the world, the country, your person of great faith. Your father was a rabbi. My dad was a lawyer. Are you the first lawyer in the Joseph family or are you right? No, with my, my grandfather was a lawyer who went to NYU Law School and uh, was a lawyer for many, many years in New York. His name was William Joseph. My oldest son has his middle name. Is, yeah. Oh, his my Hebrew God. Name. When you guys yeah. debate Talmud, it's got to be tough. Tough beauty in the Joseph family. <laughs> I I am delighted to get to know you through this process, Leora. Um, thank you for taking time away from your big job with the state of Colorado right now. Tell everybody again how they can get involved in your campaign. So I'd love people to reach out. This is a grassroots effort. People can call my cell. I'm going to put it out here, 720-666-5043. That's my personal cell. Email me at Leora Joseph one L-E-O-R-A-J-O-S-E-P-H, the number one, gmail.com. And check out my website, uh, Leora for L-E-O-R-A for district attorney. And I'd love to meet with anybody who wants to chat. Um, and I appreciate this Craigle bagel. This was a, a good a good talk for a Friday afternoon. Well, I didn't know we were going to get this personal. Now the tough <laughs> questions begin. Would you leave your husband and maybe convert faiths if Mark Ruffalo asked you to? Ooh, that's a tough one. That is a tough one. I don't know about Mark Ruffalo. What about Brad Pitt? Ah, oh, but you mentioned you like Mark Ruffalo, but I Brad do Pitt like more. Who else? <laughs> Brad Pitt. Um, you know. Denzel's aged a little bit, but he also is pretty amazing. Brad Pitt was in my favorite movie, Inglorious Bastards. One Unbelievable of my movie. Unbelievable movie. I love that movie. Yeah. And is it okay, because you're a mental health professional and a good Jewish mama, that I showed that to my boys, even though it was R-rated when they were about, I don't know, 10 years old? I think it's okay. Anyway, it's like Jewish porn revenge movie. (laughs) It was a great movie. We don't like Nazis, but we do like you, Leora. You are the light. Thank you very much for your time and good luck on the campaign trail. Thank you so much, Craig. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. He's the best lawyer I know because he's my lawyer. He's Michael Bailey. I think you pioneered this mobile estate planning and lots of lawyers are doing it now. And boy, are your clients happy and satisfied. It's convenient for the client. It certainly is fun to be able to go visit people where they are, whether it's at your house or at one of the offices, just to make it more convenient for you. And then it's more fun for me because I get to go out and about and meet people all over the place and help them out. What's the website, Michael? 
It is mobileestateplanning.com. What's the best phone number to call? 720-394-6887 is my direct line. Michael Bailey, that's our lawyer. Trish loves him. I do too. Thanks, Michael. You're welcome, Craig. Hey, everybody, for all of your legal needs, why not start with me? 734-7156-303-734-7156. I've been practicing law in Colorado for over 42 years, and I know a lot of people. And if I can't do right by you, I can steer you in the right direction. My number, 303-734-7156. Ask for Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims, a voice for people with legal difficulties. Look at this shirt I have on. There it is. I think I'm going to wear my New York shirt tonight. Troubadour, we have done many an episode together. Heck, I'm up to episode 196. You've been on every Saturday broadcast, but never like this. You brought your guitar and your whole songbook because you were off to a major gig, and I think the start of an awesome journey. I like that. Thank you. Tell everybody what you are doing this Friday night as we record. Well, tonight I'm playing The Alley. It's my first solo gig ever. This is a place in Littleton. It's a real fun little neighborhood bar, and I'm looking forward to it with a little bit of nervousness. And I am going to be there. I have to put this podcast to bed. And you know what? You are winning out over the nuggets tonight, tonight Uh, only, because I want to be there for history. So here's my question for you. If you, for some reason, were unable to record the Nuggets, and it was either me or the Nuggets. See, I can have my cake and eat it, too. I know, but you're not answering my question. Did you watch that Nuggets over Lakers? Delicious piece of chocolate cake on, good. was that, uh, Thursday night? Oh, good. National audience beat down Who's Your Daddy? The Nuggets are the Lakers' daddy. LeBron has kind of acknowledged it. Wow. There's a little bit of a give up in his face. LeBron? No, I've never seen give I'm up. I'm telling you, he's realizing that he can't beat Denver. Wow. We, we, we dominated. It was Kobe Bryant night, too. They were unveiling a statue of him. Oh, cool. He wore 24, then eight later in his career. So Denver only beat him by eight on Kobe Bryant night in LA. Wow. Yeah, that's... But Jamal Murray had another great game, and he idolized Kobe Bryant, who I got to analyze his legal case. And we, you know, his attorney, Pam Mackey, said that Kobe appreciated what I had to say. Well... That's hearsay, but... That's a feather in your cap. Well... It's nice to be appreciated. I think he was a good person, and yeah. I do not think he's a rapist. I do talk about Donald Trump as a sex offender this show. I hope that's okay with you. That's well, that's that's what he was and probably is. is if he could get away with it still. Maybe his libido has died off. 
but I don't know. He takes a lot of drugs. I bet he takes, oh, my God. Every woman should be scared of that guy if they're in private with him, except for Noah Tishby, who I went and saw the other night at the big Jewish event. Didn't see you there, but it was standing room only. And she's a big Israeli actress, star. And here's a little known fact, and it's got me intrigued. And I've tried listening to you sing tonight. I'm going to study this. Have you ever heard of a play called David? No. Produced in Tel Aviv. Okay. About King David. Best I can tell from the trailer, it's kind of like Jesus Christ super, right. Superstar, but about David, King David. Right. Great subject, man. I mean, David Melech Israel. Makes David the sense. king of the Jews. Sure. Yes. Yeah. And he was a musician and a poet. As well. Right. Yeah. But they have him involved in all his sexual entanglements, and it's controversial. Anyway, Noah Tishby was in that play as a little girl, and she grew into an actress, then an entrepreneur. Then she came to L.A., and she brought Israeli shows that became big hits out here. And she's an outspoken Jewish woman who was born in Israel, served in the IDF, and Donald Trump met. Best not mess with her. Although she's not liberal or conservative, she's kind of stuck in the middle like the rest of us. Well, I wish more people were in the middle. I don't think it's being stuck. I think it's a great place to come to these days. All right. I know we're going to get to your songs, and I know you're nervous, but did you have the time to listen to any of the Supreme Court argument? On the Colorado case? No, has it been given? It yes. Was it today? No, it was on February 8th, my wife's birthday. Oh. But that's okay. You remember Trish's birthday? And thanks yes, for I did. taking. Of course. Your wife, Lisa. And what a night we had celebrating Trish's birthday. But that was last weekend. Anyway, there was nothing to celebrate from Colorado's perspective. They're, they got their ass kicked. Oh. The opinion's not even written, but they are dead in the water. So what was the um, and and um, what was the call? Um, as far the reason? As, no, no, not the reason. I was I was asking. Um, what I meant to ask is how many judges for and how many? Nine no, it's probable. Maybe eight oh, one, but probably so nine. So they. You know what the, the the law is that's hard to analyze, the consequences. And it's like, well, what if another state does it another way? And what are we going to do? And we can't really do it. But then we do have states decide elections. So it's just going to be a Donald Trump rule. And the bottom line is that Article 3 of the 14th Amendment is really a dead letter. So, Craig, so it sounds like, it sounds like what they took into, under consideration was the uh, political impact of yes. others. But, not, but how did they rule in terms of was it an insurrection? And was he an insurrectionist? They're not going to get to that. Okay. They're going to avoid that topic, and they avoided it during oral argument. Right. Other than to say there wasn't an insurrection trial. Well, right, there wasn't a criminal trial, but there was a civil trial, Denver District Court, all of that. But yeah, that's a done deal. Right, done deal. Maybe not such a terrible thing. Right. Right. It's what you wanted. In and terms of the consequences. You were saying the consequences, right. Yeah. But that, that's kind of antithetical to the rule of law. Well, we can't really apply the rule of law because, I mean, think of the consequences. Yeah. Uh-oh. Hey, that's the exception. You know, Drake complains about the rules at the Grammys. Did you see all the women keep winning and 
guys like him get shut out. You watched the Grammys. Did you like them? Did you notice women are dominating? I have a love-hate relationship with the Grammys. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it seemed like the women were. And uh, mostly I wonder at the end uh, how I could have burned three hours of a good evening watching the Grammys. Right, but you like Tracy Chapman. Well, and she was, you know, it's, and I remember the year before it was Stevie Wonder. I think basically after the first act, it starts to go downhill for for me. It's there's just it's so much it's so much pomp and circumstance. You know, it's it's a showy thing. And when I think of a, just the vast um, spectrum, you know, of music there is out there, and how this is covering. A very narrow, to me, a, uh, you know, a narrow um, segment of music. You know what was better that night? It was the game. The Nuggets, but also Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, okay. Have you watched that? No, I mean, I've seen it. I've never watched, you know, from beginning to end. Oh, Here um, and there. Oh, okay. He's it's funny. Great episode. Yeah, and he's starting, and then there's a new season, right? New and last yes. season. Yes. Episode one of the so-called last season. And have you heard about the big controversy involving... Joe Biden, I mean, your dad, I already talked about him on this podcast because you and your dad have that special relationship and he's turning 100, right? My father will be 100 on June 30th. Right, but he's not in great shape to be president right now. Oh, God love him. God love him, no. Now, when he was 80, could he have been? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. What, he had been at the top of his game? Uh, not from an energy standpoint, you know, you need a lot of energy being a president, but um, in terms of his, you know, his, his analytical capacity, um, his ability to problem solve and to, uh, you know, deal with a lot of problems at once, I think uh, he, he, he would have been very capable up to the point where he was 90 even, Craig, but flying around, you know, and, and dealing with the, everything that uh, a president would have to No, It's too much for, for, you know, 80 starts to get, you know, it starts to be taxing. I right. Think. And, and Joe Biden's being taxed and holy cow, you know, he took some confidential documents of his own through his life, he kept some memoirs, some boxes, and his house got searched, and now the big report came in, and the prosecutor said, now we're not going to charge him. One, he returned everything. He cooperated completely. But uh, the other reason we're not going to prosecute him is because he's a well-meaning elderly man with poor memory. It would probably play well to a jury if he said, I didn't mean to do this. So that's like damning with faint praise and sure kind of a shitty thing to say if you're not going to file charges. But that's the new world. And the guy who said it, Robert Hur, is a Republican appointed by MAGA, stupid by Merrick Garland to appoint him, stupid for Merrick Garland not to look at that report and say, what the hell? It's attacking the guy who appointed me. Merrick Garland, again, asleep at the wheel. And then Joe Biden came out last night. I'm going to play the sound. And he was mad. Even in the report, they said he didn't know when his son died. And I was thinking about it. My brother died. I don't know the date of his death, but I know his birthday. It was February 19th every year. I don't know that people remember the dates of death. And there was a bunch of cheap shots, but then- It is a cheap shot. And it's an affront. Yeah. Right. And Biden came out and they said, just go out and do a press conference. Right. But he was still not at the top of his game. And then he said, CC, 
uh, was the head of Egypt when he's, uh, I mean, Sisi was the head of Mexico when he's the head of Egypt. He got it confused and he's struggling for words because he is a senior guy. And a few weeks ago, you are Mr. Oblivious. We talked about Gavin Newsom and he's been on Fox News debating DeSantis. And he's good. He's young from central casting. And your great American president, like a John Kennedy or Bill Clinton, could have come out last night with righteous indignation and and really parried with the press. Right. And taken control of the room. Right. But Joe is a little too old. He tried to make a joke and it just didn't come quite off like me going to a patented basketball move of my youth. Just didn't quite have the moves. Right. And so everybody's looking at him and saying, what the hell? This this is his one vulnerability. I think we talked about it at dinner the other night. Right. That's a vulnerability. I mean, how much it's a vulnerability in terms of his uh perception in, in you know amongst the, the amongst the voting populace. Um how much of a real liability it would be to a presidency you know, I, I still think he can be a good leader, and he, he's shown that he has. He's shown that he's a good leader. Right. He's a coach now. He doesn't have to make the plays. Right. But, yeah. geez, it would help if we could. I don't know. If Gavin Newsom came in, he could say, look, we're going to make uh, Kamala the attorney general. Thank you, Merrick Garland, for your service. And we're moving her because there's a rule you can't have two you can't have a president and a vice president from the same state. Oh. Okay. Okay. And so you, so you say that, and then you get Oprah as vice president. I don't know. Um, she's from Tennessee, I think, originally. Or she's got a place in Colorado. She could be from Colorado. I just think we might need to make sure that Donald Trump doesn't win, right? Isn't that the main goal? That's the main goal in my book. You've got now. It, it should be the main goal in the, in the Democrat book too. Democrats, and, yeah, right? Yeah, and yeah. the independents and the, any Republicans who aren't Michigan and for MAGA. I don't know. I do know. We've got to keep fighting it. And I love your album from quite a while ago, and I found a song that I never heard before. And your album, it's all downhill from here. And I think it's a perfect song because the highlight of our talk is you embarking on your solo career. And I think you were nervous a while ago, but you are prepared. So I don't think you're nervous anymore. You've got your book. You've got your guitar. That's right. And so the perfect song is Worry No More. Well, okay. I'm glad you're playing that one. I mean, that's not what I'm going to play today. <laughs> I know, but it must have been a moment where you were saying, worry no more. It's comforting as a father. And I'm telling you, worry no more. And you brought your guitar, so I'm going to look through your book. Okay. Because I want some music out of you. All right. Okay. Now there's yes. a... Now I say, oh, you pat your set. Yeah, there they are. Oh, boy. That's the list. Okay, okay. Now, oh, these are some of my all-time favorites. <laughs> okay, well, first, it, it's interesting you're starting with Sugar Don't Call and then Impossible Happiness. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's all my favorites. <laughs> but man, boy, why, don't you, why don't you just set the tone? Can you Here set the tone? All right. 
set the tone. Shut it in your face and Say you better know your place Nothing you can win, boy They take you down and screw you in That's when you must begin You let them know right then Set the tone That's dead. I gotta get another one or two. I gotta right. test you. Right. Oh, jeez. Right. You got my foot tapping. Go, go okay. ahead. Oh, then you're gonna hit him with this American Dream right after that? Yeah, why not? We're in, uh, yeah. People, I don't know. That That's a little dark because, yeah. And then you're right there on the plat. And when I think of the plat, I think of a coal train mm-hmm. running alongside of it. Coal train love. Can you give us a little coal train love? This goes all the way down to Colorado Springs. Was it something I'd done? Some word I said, cause it's feeling kind of chilly in this big feather bed you ain't been saying too much but your body speaks clear and your arms are crossed I ain't getting nowhere Oh, boy. That's going to be good. I think some people may get up and start dancing. Well, I hope so. All right. Oh, oh, no, no. Here's the perfect. (laughs) Now, here's the perfect set three. I'm trying to figure out what you're going to play when people are drunk. Psycho Killer. Tell us your cover song. I mean, that's, you know, that's the uh, Talking Head song. Yeah. No, I don't know that. How's that going? You get nasty here at the end, though. You're yeah. doing Strawberry Fields. Yeah. That's a cover. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The few All right, yeah, but your, your nasty song, Come Down, Miss Lizzie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Train keeps coming in, but here's the one for people who have broken up. They're looking for somebody new. Which one? They're on the rebound. On the rebound. I don't mind You're not taking a taxi home No, I'll be there when you arrive 
more time Just don't miss your flight Cause we'll find our own wings tonight Should I keep going? Yeah, get to the part about the rebound on a rebound anyway Alright, so here's the thing I think I'm going to bet over 13 and a half rebounds for the Joker tonight against Sacramento It's a perfect song to play for that <laughs> I can't wait to watch it tonight See, I should play behind you This is a, this is kind of I, I agree it's coming up, We're coming up with some ideas here And we're on episode 196 you know, with Craig's Colorado Corner, you're not on it no. as a guest, but you are with the theme music. It just seems to me with Billy Joel out there kicking ass at age whatever. And there was a great New York Times column about the joy of seeing him play. Did I think you were on the cusp of being discovered? Because you've kept yourself in great shape. And you have this body of work that's extraordinary. And I'm not saying everything's going to go perfect tonight, but it's going to go great. Thank you. And then you're going to figure out ways to make it even greater. It's kind of a process that if you have the energy, I think you're going to be unstoppable. <laughs> well, thank you, my friend, for that vote of confidence. See, now that, that's the kind of confidence I need. Now my nerves are gone. Well, you should have no nerves because you'll get into it and yeah. uh, people are going to be, you know, thinking about their own lives. It's sort of like a golf game, right? When everybody's self-conscious, but really people are worried about their own game. So somebody right. is thinking about being on the rebound or Trump yeah. or trying to forget those things. And maybe a few people will focus, but that's what I look forward to as people say, whoa, who is this guy? Let's listen to his lyrics. That's a nice turn of a phrase. Maybe there'll be a, a few people listening to lyrics. And if they don't, that's okay, too. Have a few beers with some friends, and uh, hopefully I'll get some feet tapping. I'm telling you, you got me right here with the feet tapping. And how many guitars are you bringing? I'm just bringing my Martin, this acoustic that I'm playing now. And then I thought I'd bring my Strat, my electric, um, for a few, uh, a few songs that might lend themselves a little better to the electric guitar. What song are you looking forward to the most? Wow. You know, the um, the song I was thinking I'd look forward to is um, Light of the Morning. It's a, it's a reggae song. It's one that I think I might do on the, on the electric. All right. That's the one Rachel sang on so beautifully. All right. Well, play us out right now. Well, I'm, I'm going to just tell her. I'm going to say, yeah, go ahead. As the sun sets on a Friday night. At the time we normally say Shabbat Shalom, we've got a special treat at the alley in downtown Littleton. And I have heard they serve Mexican food. Yes, they do. And I hear they have a, they have a singer there, and he plays the guitar in the background while you eat your chimichanga. <laughs> I'll just see right the, margarita. the first verse of this one that goes yes. like this. Just sent an angel. She walks beside me. 
She's here to guide me when I lose my way. You may not believe it's true, but I would not deceive you. I hear her voice and every word she says. I hear her when the wind blows, see her when the clouds grow bright. Here in the sunset, tell you what she brings now, even though she sings now. She's beautiful, you bet, so when your spirit is low, don't despair. Don't despair, there's a place you can go here in the light of the morning. Oh, That's the idea. Of that. Oh my gosh, she had my foot tapping and my <laughs> fingers snapping. All right. And uh, I can tell you that the big worry is one, that you're not prepared, but you are prepared. Okay, and you have your songbook just in case. Yep. All right, but the other big worry for any musician or anybody who uses a microphone trying to communicate is, oh, I hope I'm in good voice. And you just proved you're in a 100% great voice. So get out of here. Go. All right, brother. Go get ready. I mean, you are ready to kill it. So I look forward to seeing you there. I'll be there. All righty. All right, brother. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom, Craig. Everybody enjoy this song. Worry no more. The troubadour, Dave Gunners. Worry no more. He's off to the races. We knew him when. <laughs> oh, you're so funny. to be today before you're going underground eyes wide open kept your heart from getting broken you're mouthing all the words that have never been spoken preparing for the worst but whatever comes true you got plenty of angels and they're watching over you but you worry about this worry about that whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. so much pressure under your hat whoa But your mouth tastes dry You wanna take the plunge Why don't you do it now? You can wash away those fears somehow I'm working on my voodoo Casting a spell But turn it all around Break you out of your shell Your head's saying no But your heart is so inclined Don't wanna hurt you, baby Just wanna make you mine Don't you worry about this Worry about that Whoa, whoa Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're putting on brakes, your heart's 
just racing It's not a sure thing, just the future that we're facing What are you holding back for? No need to worry no more Michael, of course, is a great sponsor of my show, but more than that, he's my lawyer, my end-of-life planning lawyer, and I've got two dogs. What about you? I have two dogs right now as well. And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that. So I will write pet trusts, which is, you can earmark money to take care of your pets. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they've got their dogs and you know, they love their dogs. But then if somebody were to, you know, if, you're, if you were to pass away, you know, who's going to take your dogs? Who would, who would love your dogs as much as you do? I don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do. But like I grew up with dogs. And so if I were to pass away, then my parents or my siblings could take the dogs. So when you set up a pet trust, you can dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well. I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time. You have 15 different locations. How cool is that? It is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and, you know, meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them. And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them. Yep and I'll deal with traffic so you don't have to. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. My direct phone number is 720-394-6887, or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule, you know, there's a book an appointment link on, this, on the website. All right, Michael Bailey, thank you. Okay, here's the thing. You've been hurt. Maybe, God forbid, someone's been killed. You don't know what to do. If it happened in Colorado, please get a hold of me. Check out my website, craigscoloradolaw.com. craigscoloradolaw.com because 
I have four decades of experience. Sadly, I've helped a lot of people who have been hurt terribly through no fault of their own. 303-734-7156. Please call Craig. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. 303-734-7156. Hey, what a great show. Thank you, Dave Gunders. Good luck at the alley. I'm off to see you. If your performance there is like your performance here, we're in great shape. Let me tell you that I'm thinking about the people in Israel. And we don't have the hostages back. And I could go on about a woman named Romy. You know, we have Romy Bean in our community, but there's a Romy in Israel who got kidnapped at that festival and I think she's alive, but not in not in the right hands. And then there's people I know, the Solomon family. There are some Solomons, S-A-L-I-M-A-N. And I keep coming around these people who are like my Denver extended family. And there they are in Israel. And when I was over there, I was at the home of Noam Solomon. And his beautiful mother, Eleanor Solomon, lives there near the kibbutz. And this is what happened to her starting with Friday night, October 6, 2023. She and her husband, Don, and their dog, Lucky, decided to have some nice cantorial music on a Shabbat. I hope it's more peaceful in their future. And until they get their peace back, and it's, it's taking a lot of time, then the world's not going to be spinning right. Listen to Eleanor Solomon, and please know that I appreciate you listening to episode 196. Tell a friend, share, subscribe. The rest of the show is for you. Eleanor Solomon in Eretz Yisrael. I sat in my chair in the living room, and Don sat in his chair, and we decided to turn the TV off, and we listened to classical music, and we listened to Cantoroyal, Cantoroyal music, and it was just a beautiful, relaxing evening. I got up in the morning, Don got up in the morning, and our dog got up in the morning, and all of a sudden, I heard this horrible sound and the noise was just too much. And I screamed at Don, my husband, to please go to the security room and to take Lucky. And I'm coming. And that's what I did. And we, he closed the security door. And we just sat there. We were getting notices from people that lived on the that live on the kibbutz will somebody please come help me there's terrorists in my house where is the army and it was like we heard the screaming in our heads of these people that were asking for help We heard shooting, a lot of shooting, and the missiles kept coming. I went out 
and I ran and I brought water into the security room and I brought a pail into the security room and we locked the door again and we just stayed there listening to the people hollering, help me, help me. And nobody came. And our dog, Lucky, didn't make a sound. He was quiet the whole time. He didn't, he didn't budge. And it's like he knew something was really bad that was happening. And I don't know what time it was. We heard, we got a notice that everybody has to be moved out of the kibbutz and quickly pack your stuff that you want to take. I was in a state of shock. I didn't know what I was doing, really. I was doing it like automatic. Like a machine was telling me, you got to go here, you got to go there, you got to do this, you got to do that, and do it quickly. So I ran and got all of my husband's medicine. I got my medicine. And I remember I couldn't get on the Jeep. And the soldier had to almost pick me up to get me on the Jeep. And I said, please don't forget my dog. During this time, we were in contact with our sons. I remember that. And my one son said to me, send me the information of where you're going. So I sent it and he said, I will meet you there and I will bring you to our house. You're not going anywhere else. You're coming to us. They took care of us, especially my daughter-in-law. She wants just everything. I was like a zombie, and my husband was a mess. And I'd say it took about a month and a half for some of the fear to leave my body. And I try today not to think about it, but it's there. I got two feet on the floor. My family's alive. We got out of there just in time. I can't, I can't ask for anything else. It's perfect until I can go home again. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.